Hi, I'm Daniel, producer at Intelligence Squared. This week's episode is a special debate we staged on Brexit. With our exit date fast approaching, we decided to stage something slightly different this time, so we put together a major town hall debate. This time we gave our audience far more of a chance to ask questions directly to our panel of top experts and politicians. On stage, we had the senior Conservative MP and former Minister Kenneth Clark. We had Jess Phillips, the Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley. We had Anand Menon, the head of a top UK Brexit-related think tank. Douglas Carswell, the former UKIP MP, and Ian Paisley Jr. of the Democratic Unionist Party. And the debate was chaired by The Guardian's Jonathan Freeland. We hope you enjoy listening to the debate. Thank you very much, Hannah. And we, as you know, with Intelligence Squared, obviously we have to do a lot of advanced preparation. So in this case, we decided that we would do this event, what, probably one or two years ago, and we had to choose the title all that time ago, and we decided Brexit in Crisis, we thought, two years ago, thinking that wouldn't date at all. Um, but no, nevertheless, we are just, I think, what is it, 22, 23 days away? And, and you all know, how many days away? 20-something. 20 20-something 20 days away. That we're going to bring that degree of precision and rigour to all our proceedings. But we thought it would be a, just a, a great moment to take stock and to think about where we go next with, you can see here, uh, a range of people who are all absolutely bound up in and involved in this huge question, probably the biggest constitutional question of any of our lifetimes to confront the country. Some would say the biggest constitutional crisis uh, for the country uh, in a century, uh, with deadlock still um, even just 20-odd days away. Questions that all of you may want to ask tonight, ranging from will Theresa May get her withdrawal agreement through? Will there be civil unrest on the streets if she doesn't? Uh, will there be civil unrest on the streets if she does? Will we extend Article 50? And above all, is it now time to start stockpiling food? And if so, what? Um, so these are all some of the questions that might come up in the course of our proceedings. But the format is slightly different tonight. For our Intelligence Squared veterans, we are going to hear, obviously, from our speakers here, but we are going to involve all of you and hear from uh, all of you, not just at the end, as we often do, but really from the very start. And I'm going to explain something about the format. Uh, essentially, we're going to tackle... Four big questions. We're going to hear opening shots from all of our speakers, but then we're going to talk in uh, chunks of time dedicated to four big questions. First one is going to be about Theresa May's deal, and I'm going to ask all of you, but also our panel here, will it happen and should it happen? Different questions. Then we'll get on to a no-deal exit from the European Union. Will that happen and should it happen? And then a second referendum. Will that happen? And you're getting the idea now, should it happen? And then finally, we'll have a section really where we just talk about what the fallout of this whole story is likely to be, politically, economically, and all the other ways. So that's the structure. And when we're in that first section on Maysdale, I really urge you just to stay on that topic rather than jumping ahead to other things, which I know everyone's got things on their mind. But um, the opening question to all of our panellists, and I'm going to introduce them in a minute, will be, what do you want to see happen on and just after March the 29th. So that's the question for our panellists. And I have an opening question to each of them is, what do you want to see happen on and just after March the 29th? They really are going to have to only have a minute, because I want to hear from all of you. So you, why don't you kick us off with 60 seconds on that subject without hesitation, repetition or deviation. Ken Clark. Okay, well, this is what do I expect to happen or what I want, want to happen. What do you want to happen? Uh, what I want to happen is nothing. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the process, it is just possible. Uh, the, the process I would like to see follow, uh, if as I expect, though all forecasting this evening, I will hedge. I'm making no firm forecast. Anybody who tells you they know what's going to happen in the next few days, let alone beyond that, is deceiving themselves. Uh, it is completely unforeseen. But I think uh, the deal is going to be defeated uh, next week, so we won't have an agree a deal accepted by Parliament. Uh, it, that seems to me inevitably to lead to our having to defer leaving. Uh, I think not only should we rule out no deal, which would be disastrous, but we should seek an extension of Article 50. And I personally would favour what I think some European and uh, continental Europeans favour, which is an extension to, say, the end of 2021. So we can, as we failed to solve this preliminary agreement on three fairly straightforward points and then going on to the main negotiations, let's start the main negotiations and then 2021, you never know, we might know what we're putting in place and we might be able to put it in place smoothly. It would give us an altogether more sensible debate than the ridiculous farce uh, we've been having uh, for the last uh, two and okay. a half years. And I think we need it here because you can't have negotiations until the British politicians and public have actually taken the time to sort out some consensus to find what there is a cross-party majority for, what kind of thing are we seeking if we just feel ourselves bound to leave and so we're trying to get some long-term okay. relationships in all our interests. Thank you. Um, Douglas, what, what, do you, what would you like to see happen? What do you want would, to happen on that day? I would like on March the 29th for Britain to leave the European Union in accordance with what a majority of people, 17.4 million people, voted for, the largest mandate for any election that's happened in this country. I would like that preferably to be with a deal, but I would only want the deal to be uh, approved next week if it contains a time limit on, on the backstop. Unless there's a time limit on the backstop, then if there isn't a time limit on the backstop, then I would like to see MPs reject the deal. I don't believe that any self-respecting country should approve the May deal as it stands without a time limit on the backstop. And let, let me explain why. As it currently stands, the deal means that we would retain many of the costs of EU membership. We would forego many of the advantages of being an independent country. And we would concede not only territory, but the ability to make our own trade policy. Some people have suggested that if the May deal goes through, it would be Brexit in name only. Trust me, it would be far worse than the status quo. If we were to leave under the current terms without a time limit to the backstop, we would leave without a voice, without a vote, and without a veto. And I... I think we should ask ourselves, in return for what? The whole point of this withdrawal agreement was the quid pro quo, if you like, was that we should get, in return, a comprehensive trade deal. And there's absolutely no sign of that. So I, I hope that uh, unless uh, Cox comes back with a significant limit to the backstop, then I hope that uh, MPs reject this uh, uh, monstrous deal. But there you've spoken about what, what you hope will happen next week, in a sense, with the vote. I'm asking, on the 29th, 
What do you want to happen on that day? Well, I began by answering that. But as I'm sure you're aware, Jonathan, it's contingent upon quite a few imponderable factors. So if Cox doesn't get that deal on the 29th, you would like us to leave with no deal? I think it would be better for us to, if, if necessary, to um, an extension to 20, for 21 months would be preferable to signing up to May's deal. So we have brokered already an agreement here between Douglas Carswell and Kenneth Clark. See, I think I should be the mediator of this process because but, 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 it just but, took me but, five minutes. Five minutes. Jonathan, if, okay. if, if I may say, yeah. don't assume that a rejection automatically leads to a delay. There's a lot of punditry out there that yeah. assumes if we reject the deal, there will automatically be a delay. That, that, and we can examine this later. I wouldn't make that assumption at no. all. And even if there is a delay, I wouldn't assume that that means no Brexit. It, it, you've got to remember, there are an awful lot of people in Brussels who would like to see the back of us. Okay. Jess, what you, what, Jess Phillips, what do you want to see happen on and just after March the 29th? I'm going to try and follow the instruction and answer in one minute. I would like... If I had to dream about what I would want, you know, I'd be a size 10. And um, uh, we would rescind Article 50. If, uh, it, you know, that is, if I had to dream, that isn't going to happen. So what I hope is uh, very similar to Ken, is I hope nothing happens on the 29th. But my greatest hope, actually, whilst I want nothing to happen, and I think we're going to have to have some form of extension, I would prefer it to be uh, as long as Ken has outlined, although I I don't think it will be. Um, I would like to talk about something else. Um, I would like to remember the people where I live and their actual lives, um, and for policy about people's lives to be the thing that we discussed on the 29th of March um, and for something to change materially, any policy to materially materially change in the UK that actually felt like it belonged to the people where I live. Thank you. Um, Jess Phillips nearly did it in a minute, just over, so why don't you try and rise to that challenge, Ian Paisley Jr. What do you want to see happen after and on March 29th? Well, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me here tonight. It's lovely to be here, and thank you all for coming out on a damp, drizzly, dirty London evening. I I flew in from uh, Northern Ireland when the sun was shining, and uh, (laughs) uh, obviously climate change change isn't happening. Um, But uh, can I... uh, say that what I want to see happening on the 29th and 30th, well, I'll tell you what I hope will happen. I hope on the 29th there'll be one of the largest celebratory parties in County Antrim, uh, celebrating with over 70% of uh, the people there who voted to leave and that their uh, will will have been achieved. And I hope that on the 30th I will be recovering from that wonderful party that we will have had. I would encourage you all, you're all very welcome to come over and to enjoy those celebrations. There's three things I, I, I will say. Um, First of all, I do take very seriously the fact that the British people decided that they wanted to leave. Now, at the end of this event tonight, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to hang around in the foyer. I'm not going to have one foot in Marsham Street and the other on the steps. I promise you I'm going. Now, that's what the people told me in 2016, that they wanted to leave the EU. And whether we like it or not, Uh, That is what I believe should and must happen. I I also believe, uh, frankly, um, I'm disappointed like you in the negotiation process. I negotiated, I was one of our party's negotiators with a provisional IRA to get peace in Northern Ireland. 
it was an awful lot easier than this. And I, that is not a joke. We actually had a structured process that resulted in an outcome that for the last 20 years has been pretty darn good. And uh, that was a complex ideological uh, spaghetti mess. And uh, we got there. So I'm disappointed, like everyone else has been in the process. But I do believe that we must get out and that we will get out and that it will be good because I really believe in the people of this country. Whether they're Scots, whether they're Northern Irish like me, whether they're Welsh or whether they're English, like probably the vast majority in this, this, this room, I believe that together we can do an awful lot better. Thank you. Um, Anand Menon, I, I'm going to put to you the question in a different way because of your role here, which is rather than what you want to see happen, what do you think will happen on that day? Well, I'm going to answer the first question, if that's all right, which all is right. what I, I mean, simply because it ties in. I, I mean, I, I agree with Ken in the sense that the only way we leave on the 29th of March is under two bad scenarios. Either we leave with no deal, which I think will be deeply damaging. And actually, I have to say, if we did that, it would put at risk some of the gains that Ian was just talking about through the Northern Ireland negotiations. Or we leave having voted through miraculously Theresa May's deal, in which case the government has whipped a massively important piece of constitutional law, the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, through the Commons far more quickly than it should be whipped through the Commons. So I think either way, we have to have a delay. That's not a comment about whether we Brexit or not. It's a, it's a, it's a comment on the way in which we do. I disagree with Ken because I don't think despite the press stories doing the rounds, there are all that many people in European chancelleries who want to give us 21 months. Uh, I think there is a body of opinion amongst some European states that if there's a delay, it needs to be a short one. And so I think we're going to end up facing all the dilemmas that Parliament faces this Tuesday, once again, in this kind of Brexit parliamentary doom loop during that extension when we need to come to a decision. Can I come back just on, on one thing? Yeah. And you are the expert here tonight. But I, I think we really need to challenge some things that just roll off people's tongues as if it is a foregone conclusion. And put at risk the peace in Northern Ireland. Can, can I say, it insults me as an Ulsterman. It insults me as an Irishman to hear that. That I'm being told that peace in my country is going to be put at risk because people are going to hopefully get into a different economic opportunity and economic relationship. That's what this is about. This is an economic argument. It is not the ideological argument of separating Ireland. We have free movement across our borders and have had that since Northern Ireland was partitioned from the rest of Ireland. That will not change and is not planned to change. And the only threat at the present time in Northern Ireland is the one that has reigned for the last 20 years. It's criminality, driven mainly by a group called dissident Republicans. And frankly... There's been more criminal violence and murder on the streets of my nation's capital in the last two months than there's been in the last five years in my country. Let me hear from so Jeff. let's keep it in perspective. Let's just hear from Jeff Phillips and then it's I going mean, to be... I don't think that people are threatening the peace process in the sense that we're saying, oh, there's going to be fights. Although, to be fair, I get told that all the time that my opinion is going to cause violence on the streets. Um, so, uh, but the, the, the reason it threatens the peace process is just... Is it, it's not a threat from one nation to another, in this case, Ireland and uh, U, the UK. It is... A about the infrastructure that would have to be put in place under a no-deal Brexit at the border. There would have to be infrastructure placed at the border. Now, in an ideal world, of course, 
Even if there was infrastructure at the border, which, as you say, since the partition of Ireland, nobody would, no, that hasn't existed, and nobody on this panel or in this room, I'm sure, wants to see that. But the fact of the matter is, is that it very well may become a flashpoint for a, a previous era of a lack of peace, but and uh, almost certainly I will. I don't want to get killed for this. In, I don't want genuinely. To, we're going it to insult the intelligence of okay. people on my island. We're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about No Deal specifically a bit later on. The question now is for this next section. I want us to talk about Theresa May's deal. Let's just get a sense of the room a bit, and let's do a show of hands. How many people think that Theresa May's deal, as it stands now, will get through Parliament next Tuesday? Raise your hand if you think it will go through. Okay. Very interesting. So that's our first prediction. Now, this is a different question. If you had, you yourself sitting here now, if you had a vote, would you vote for Theresa May's deal? Raise your hand if you would. She really has united the country against her. That's amazing. Okay, so very, very few people would vote for it. If 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 you're one of the people who did raise your hand there and would like to make a case for why you would vote for Theresa May's deal, then keep your hand up and we might come to you. Otherwise, who would like to either, who would like to really ask a question about that subject, about the Theresa May's deal as it currently stands, which is obviously going to be voted on in this meaningful vote, MV2, meaningful vote 2, on Tuesday. So who has a thought or question about that? You must, one of you will. There we are, hand right at the back. Keep your hand up, keep your hand up so people know to get to you. And we'll hear from you. And then other people, if you are one of the people who said you would vote for it, I'd like to hear why. Yeah. Roger Kendrick, one of the principles of parliamentary democracy in this country is that parliaments don't bind future parliaments. In this case, if we sign Theresa May's deal, we are bound by an agreement which is under the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice to stay in the backstop for as long as the EU decides they want to keep us there. And there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. They're going to control huge swathes of our commercial policy in this country. And what we're doing, if we sign that deal, is to give our competitor the control over our uh, major aspects of our economy. So the point, I, the, point, the question I yeah. have, how can any parliamentary, parliamentarian justify uh, uh, signing, supporting a deal which uh, binds future parliaments? Okay, thank you. Let's see if there's others. Here we are. It's very much about choices, because if I was given the choice of May's deal or no deal, I probably would go for May's deal. Okay. But as I feel that on the table now is the possibility of May's deal and maybe no Brexit, that seems a much more attractive option to me. And that's why you wouldn't vote for it, because you're still holding out. Okay. Um, while we, I'm going to put to you, Ken Clark, the question that came right from the back, which is, how could any parliamentarian vote for this deal, which effectively ties your hands and allows uh, our competitor, is how he, the questioner put it, uh, to decide things for us, with us not having control? How could anybody vote for that? Well, every treaty we've ever signed, and there's hundreds of them, involves the pooling of sovereignty and the binding of future parliaments. I mean, you know, the, the NATO treaty and the United Nations arrangements and so on don't allow for... It's not subject to every parliament signed to back out of it, and that's true of the Good Friday Agreement uh, as well. Uh, and uh, the, the, the idea that the Irish backstop is some sinister continental plot uh, to tie us in to the customs union 
on terms which actually would be quite economic, economically advantageous for Northern Ireland as long as it lasts. Uh, as long as the, the backstop lasts or as long as Northern Ireland? As long as the backstop lasts. <laughs> yeah. it, the rather odd position in the Irish backstop is it, it gives the Northern Ireland the only part of the entire continent which will have totally free access to the UK and totally free access to the rest of the EU. But that was a minor point. Uh, but but it is no advantage to the uh, European Union, whatever, to even invoke the backstop in the first case. It's not going to be required unless we suddenly decide we're taking off before we finish the main negotiations for the rest of the UK. And there's no advantage at all, keeping it as it's not a sinister continental plot. Um, I I voted for the the, the withdrawal agreement. I shall vote for it again. Uh, I've already made it clear. My hope, eventually, will emerge with a soft Brexit, because I don't think 17 million people uh, all voted to ensure that we got tariff barriers, customs barriers, regulatory barriers put in the way of our investment and trade, uh, uh, all our economic relationships with the biggest free trade area in the world and our principal market. That is, that's rather late in the day become a desire held by very few people. Uh, and, and these three preliminary points have been settled. Everybody agreed they need to be settled before you actually leave. Um, and they, they, they all involve, you know, I won't bother with the citizenship and the money, the money's a legal debt, uh, and the way in which you guarantee the open border if the UK government ever decides that the rest of the UK is going off on its own and is leaving the customs union and the single market. I actually think eventually we'll all realise that the only way you can have an open border in Ireland that is part of the peace settlement in Northern Ireland, it it isn't written in the Good Friday Agreement, but it's intrinsic to it. Nobody in Ireland wants a hard border. The policy of the DUP is to have an open border for economic as well as security reasons. And the only way anyone's ever discovered of having an open border is to be in a customs union and to have sufficient regulatory alignment not to require one. Okay. So, so that's where we're going to wind up so why, uh, eventually in any event. And then you move on. I want Let's smoothly to move on that. onto the serious negotiations which we haven't even started, which as I have already said, I hope will be conducted in a more grown-up fashion once the British have reached some sort of consensus about what they're envisaging for our long-term political arrangements, defence okay. arrangements, security arrangements, policing, and all the economic arrangements. Doug Douglas, just on that point of logic, as Ken Clark presented it, which is if everyone <coughs> wants to avoid a hard border, no way of doing that unless there is this customs union arrangement, ergo the backstop. There's just no logical way around but it. Ever since the referendum result came out, I've been the first to admit that it's 52-48. That shouldn't give either side a blank cheque. There needs to be compromise. And I'd be willing to compromise and say that people should sign up to a withdrawal agreement that Theresa May has negotiated that have, for me as a Lever, some very, very painful concessions. Um, We would concede as Levers, if we supported the May deal, that the European Court of Justice should continue to have a say in our affairs after we've left. We would make a concession on an arbitration mechanism, an asymmetric arbitration mechanism that is going to be painful. We would concede on the 39 billion Um, which uh, uh, some would say we don't have to concede everything on. But I think we're right, however, as leavers, to dig in on this one issue of backstop, and and, and let me explain why. Um, There's no exit 
so long as the backstop has no time limit. We would be exchanging, if you like, a membership of the EU, which is by definition temporary, for a series of arrangements that are permanent. We would be signing away control over our trade policy in perpetuity. Now, I, I think it's very telling that Cox is almost certainly not going to get any concession on this. This is incredibly revealing because it says to me that the backstop is not some add-on, some afterthought of the withdrawal agreement. It's almost as if the entire withdrawal agreement has been built around the backstop, a device to keep us locked in commercially forever as a satellite of the EU. Now, I... Douglas, just on this point, the motive for that... Do you believe the motive for that is because that is an advantageous arrangement for the EU in terms of trade? Absolutely. So you don't believe... When they say it's only because they want to avoid a hard border, you don't believe them. You think I, they're, I, I they're simply, dishonest on I, that. I, I simply don't believe them. And I first got wind of this shortly after the referendum when I went and spoke at a, a meeting in Brussels. And again and again and again, this point was raised. And looking back, it is a stick with which to, to push forward their agenda. I just want to hear Anna Menon on that point, because you, you, you speak to these in, people in these European capitals all the time. Is it your view that what's motivating them is what they say, which is they want to avoid a hard border because they want peace in Northern Ireland, or is Douglas right that actually it's about we binding us into this trade arrangement? Well, there are two lines of argument in Europe. If you talk to French policymakers, they detest the backstop because the French are obsessed with the idea that we're going to gain a comparative advantage for the reasons that Ken said. There are also many people in Europe who say we won't be able to tolerate the backstop because life in a customs union without membership of the European Union involves an intolerable loss of sovereignty to the European Union over a lot of our commercial policy. We the UK uh, won't Yeah, we the UK. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of depends who you talk to. But actually, I mean, the one thing I would say is the European Union gave us the backstop as a massive concession to Theresa May. Previously, they'd said there'll be no all-UK arrangement, nothing into the future. This is a withdrawal agreement. She fought for and got the all-UK backstop, so they were slightly taken aback when it became the reason why our parliament won't accept it. Before, before, before you come in, Douglas, there's a lady there who's got a hand up. Keep your hand up. We'll just hear from her, and then we'll come right back to you. I, I, I yeah. I don't, no, we'll hear from her, and then we'll come right back to you. Yeah. Just here. Yeah. Sorry. I know a state of limbo is a pain, but so is war, and this is a verbal war. So why is everyone so afraid of it taking so long? I see. So you, in other words, we're not in such a rush, yes. you feel, because it, it will be worse if we go into a very bad arrangement rather than I, this. But I, I completely agree. For me, this has been a very long march, and I'm happy to wait uh, 21 months if, uh, if, um, if, if it's a choice between extending and signing up to May's deal, I would prefer to extend. And I, I, I would argue that actually that's because um, I, I think it's, it's telling that this idea of extending by 21 months came from Macron. If you read Macron's recent uh, vision of, of Europe in the future, this uh, hyper, ultra federal state, he clearly doesn't envisage the United Kingdom as being part of it. So I think if we're prepared to hold our nerve on this and bide our time for another 21 months, we will get what we want. If we uh, lose our nerve in the next few weeks and sign up to this ridiculous deal, I think we will uh, live to regret it. So I'm, I'm prepared to wait. So we can hear from the... Hold on, Ken, 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 Ken. I want to hear from the lady here. I'm just following immediately on very shortly. I said I'm not going to do forecasts, but the rather surprising agreement between Douglas, Jess and myself all started from slightly different states, so a 21-month agreement, I think actually is reflected in the House of Commons. Uh, Douglas yeah. is no longer in the House of Commons. It is therefore, that's why I said it is possible 
that's where we will be. There are people who agree with Douglas in the House of Commons, and mm -hmm. not for the first you. time, they find themselves agreeing with me for probably equal and opposite reasons. But, Excellent. Uh, Let's hear from the lady here. Yeah. We're all talking about the withdrawal agreement, but along with that, doesn't, go the, political, doesn't the political declaration go? Why don't we talk about that? Because there's nothing in it. So surely if we sign up for the withdrawal agreement, we're signing up for a completely unknown future, and it never seems to get much discussion in Parliament at all. Very I don't understand I'll, it. I'll, we'll, get, we'll hear from Jess on exactly that point, but Ian Paisley wanted to come in on the you, yeah. uh, backstop issue folks, and as well. In the yeah. Folks, be clear about what's happening to you. You're being completely and totally disrespected. Whether you were on the Leave side or the Remain side, you took part in a democratic process. And you're being disrespected by people who claim they want to be your good neighbour, but they want to actually do something to you. They want to punish you. Now, don't take my word for it. Take Mr Junker's word for it. When he said, Brexit must be a form of punishment, a form of punishment to those who wish to desert the European project. So that's what's happening to you. Why do I object to Theresa May's deal? I, I put this proposal to the government. After the government lost, the, had the biggest single defeat in the history of parliamentary democracy, I said, bring your withdrawal agreement back without the Northern Ireland Protocol and see if it gets support. And I bet you it would get support. And take that message back to Europe and say, the problem is the backstop. And that's what's got to be addressed. Why am I opposed to the backstop? Three very quick reasons. It cuts... Northern Ireland off from the rest of the United Kingdom economically and politically. And let me give you the facts on this. I'm, Briefly, I'm, entitled, I'm entitled to have the same rights as a British citizen as every single person in this room. I will not be treated differently to every... For, for, for every... For I will not be treated differently... I will not... I, I, I will not be treated differently to any other person in this room in terms of my Britain. You are Brit treated differently to me. Into, look, well, well, uh, if you want to get into... If you want to get in... No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. respond to the abortion issue. I have a right I, 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 that your family I, I, do not I, have. I, I, I'll happily answer that in a moment if you, ha if, 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 if if you want to have down, that debate. Yeah. I will, no, I'll happily answer that in a moment. But I think I'm entitled to answer the issues of the backstop because that's what we're here to discuss. And I'm happy to answer any other issues on any of those points. I'm entitled to the same rights and the same citizenship as every other member of the United Kingdom. And on the backstop issue, the Northern Ireland Protocol does this. It says that my trade under the backstop would mean that the people I trade with most, i.e. GB, that that would be cut off and that I would have to take rules from the EU of which I would have no say in terms of regulatory changes to how we trade. And where's, where's the rest of most of our trade going, Northern Ireland? It doesn't go south, it goes to America. There then is a bit that goes south and a smaller bit, again, that goes to the rest of the EU. Most of our trade in Northern Ireland is with GB. That would be annexed and Most cut of off trade in and GB destroyed. Is with now, now, now you, you raised the issue of abortion. I'm prepared, I'm prepared to deal with the issue of abortion. It was the British Parliament, of which I'm a member, gave Scotland... Wales and Northern Ireland the powers to deal with social politics. We have different welfare policies in Northern Ireland. We have different social policies to do with abortion and gay marriage. And 
I'm entitled to vote for or against those issues in Northern Ireland and to have them okay. respected. Let, let's you may it. not like them, but that it's is the rules which this Parliament here gave to the people of Northern Ireland. Just, Philip, just come back on that, then, Anand, and then we're going to move on to No Deal. Yeah, the also, you, the citizenship rights of people in Northern Ireland, which I have found out to um, my benefit, are not the same as people uh, in the rest of GB. For mm -hmm. example, they can hold citizenship with the south of Ireland, and thankfully, my father was born in Northern Ireland. Um, and that means that they can remain European citizens, should they so wish. Uh, and Will so, you be our citizen Will you be getting an Irish passport for your family. Uh, yes. Um, so, uh, I mean, obvs. You really need to address that issue. I, no, come on, let's having having an Irish passport gives you no rights as a European citizen. So please don't be fooled by that. I, I will not, my income tax issues will not my change. My welfare, my Europe. health policy will not change because I carry an Irish passport. Do not be fooled by that red herring. Okay. Let's reply from Jess, then Anna, and we're going on. Um, but to answer um, the woman's question down here at the front, is that the political declaration, it was like seven pages versus the whatever, it was like the phone 500 book. Odd. Yeah, 500-odd uh, pages. Um, it's still incredibly up for grabs, and actually what is currently going on in Parliament, although it looks, I mean, it looks so bad to the public because we're all talking about amendment this and amendment that, and there couldn't be anything that looked more like it wasn't about the people in our country uh, than talking about amendments. Um, but actually, a lot of what is going on is about trying, for Theresa May, to try and secure the withdrawal agreement is agreeing what might go into the political declaration with members of Parliament. So there's the whole sort of uh, common market 2.0, as if it's diehard. Um, and the, the, all the different, like the workers' rights stuff, all of the... There is actually quite a lot of conversation going on about um, all of what will go into the political declaration, although none of it is being done by honest brokers, which is part of the problem, because it just feels either like bribes or desperation. So it's, we, we still have a long, long way to go in that regard, but it okay. is being discussed. Before, but, no, no. It's not, that's right. Okay. No, it's just no, no, seven no. pages. Before I go, it's is your question about Maze Your question about Maze Deal? You're, you're not responding. No, because I'm going to move on to No Deal now, because we, we need you. And Andy, I did promise you, so very quickly, and then we're going to talk about No Deal. But Just very, very quickly on the declaration on Limbo. On the declaration, I think the lady in the front, you were being slightly unfair on it. It's actually quite a rich document. But you're right, it's not legally binding in the same way as a withdrawal agreement, but it will, in the, the European Union, have the power of what's called soft law. So it does have a force. But the only thing it rules out is the single market because of that sentence, freedom of movement will end. And actually, there doesn't see, I haven't heard a debate in Parliament properly about that sentence as yet, and that seems to me the key. On limbo, it might be that limbo ends up being the place where we should end up, but don't think it's cost-free in two ways. Firstly, in terms of businesses and investment, further uncertainty is going to hamper the amount of investment we get into this country. You could argue that actually that's better than the alternatives, fair enough, but don't think it's cost-free. And secondly, with regard to what Jess said earlier, if you want Parliament to actually start governing us, which they haven't done since 2016 because all they've done is Brexit, 21 months of limbo is probably not the best way to achieve yeah, that because right. Brexit will continue to dominate the Parliament. I can tell you want to come back then, I'm not going to let you. Thank you very much for that. Intelligence Squared is a tight-knit team doing big things, and it means we're always looking for tools that can help streamline managing tasks. That's why I want to talk to you for a minute about NetSuite. NetSuite provides cloud-based software to get things moving. 
Maybe your business has been humming, but you can feel things are falling behind a little bit. Or perhaps your team is getting snowed with manual tasks and closing those books is taking forever. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, allowing them to close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. It means you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. NetSuite is now making an unprecedented offer to make more of that kind of thing possible. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com squared. That's netsuite.com squared to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com squared. I want to move on to this question of no deal. And we're going to do a show of hands once again. First of all, I'm going to ask you to play uh, Mystic Meg and prediction. Who thinks there will be no deal, and that we will exit on March the 29th with no deal. Few hands have gone up. Okay. And how many people think that's what we should do? So a few more hands. Very good. That's helpful for the next stage of our conversation. All right. Of the, who would like to ask a question of our panel, or perhaps make a point in a question kind of grammatical way, um, about no deal, and about whether it should happen and whether it will happen? Good. I'm seeing a couple of hands. Yeah. Uh, we currently have uh, 83 free trade agreements and I believe it's seven mutual recognition agreements with the European Union. How does no deal remove barriers to trade if we lose all of those? Thank you. Very sharp and to the point. And then over there, microphone number one. Yeah, so um, for no deal, if you're basically... I find it hard as an Irish citizen listening to it. It's kind of difficult to know that, first of all, we voted on something without already having some sort of framework of a deal in place. So we've basically spent the last two and a half years doing nothing um, without working on something that was already kind of something concrete that we could begin with. It just feels like we've lost time. Um, And also in terms of the the no deal reaction to kind of for, for myself, who's Irish, myself, I, who has an Italian partner, we're basically just facing the, the fact that we're going into something with still no information, based on two years of pretty much no information coming back to us, with us trying to make informed decisions on our future with no information. So we've essentially just gotten what done. Uh, it's just really... It's just really a philosophical question to the panel more than anything. Is your point there that you don't think we should have triggered Article 50 until all this had been worked out? Is that Pretty your... much. We, yeah. we, just, we started everything based on no information and no plan to go forward. So. A few, few people nodding here. There was a sort of heart, uh, cart before horse thing there. Um, let's, is the lady here who put her hand up earlier, is your question relevant to this? Number, microphone number two? Yeah. I'm not sure it's relevant, but I want to say it. Good. <laughs> um, Why should you be the only one who doesn't apply that standard? <laughs> Um, when Ian Paisley was talking vehemently about um, having his say, and it's so important he say, one of the things that I have found so difficult to get my head around is we have 650 parliamentarians held ransom by 12 DUP people. That is not equal. That is not how it's meant to be. It is not how we all voted 
we have a bizarre, mad situation, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Let's hear from the person who's at microphone number three, and then, then I'm going to bring it back to the panel. Yes. Yeah. I voted Brexit with very little knowledge, but I just thought Brexit meant Brexit. Uh, at the time, I didn't know there was a soft Brexit. I didn't know there was a deal, a no deal. I thought, probably in ignorance, that the EU would be very upset we were leaving. We'd come out with no deal, which I didn't know there was a name, no deal. We'd come out, and then they'd be so grateful that we would renegotiate and get what we wanted. So um, I'm still hoping that no deal Brexit will put us in a stronger point to renegotiate. And we might have a little bit of a blip, but I'm sure they'll be desperate to get us back again. They're not. And they, hold on. And when you no, keep the microphone, keep the microphone, keep the microphone for a second. Keep the microphone. When you say they'll be desperate to get us back in again, do you mean literally to go back into the European Union? No, I think they'll be very anxious to, um, to negotiate deals with us. I see. We'll be doing deals with China and America, and uh, Germany will still want to send yeah, us their cars. Japan have been cracking this week in the car industry. We will still want to buy their wine. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking that we'll have something. And, by the way, my, I see a lot of the audience are young people. My 40-year-old children were horrified and wept when we uh, voted Brexit. But I'm still hoping that... Yeah. A no deal will be better than Theresa May's deal. Thank you. All right. Well, look, we've got a range of... Thank you very much. We've got a range of um, questions there. Uh, let's put that first one to you, uh, Douglas Coswell. Do you have the same analysis as that last questioner, that actually it's the act of leaving with no deal that will finally concentrate minds in Brussels and they will negotiate this plum agreement with us that they've been holding back until now? Let's be clear what's meant by no deal. No deal Brexit means leaving without the EU's permission. Now, when I held that ballot paper in my hand all those months ago, it didn't say, do you want to leave with Brussels' permission? Do you want to leave with the permission of Mr. Tusk and Mr. Bonnier? It simply said, should the United Kingdom remain in the European Union or leave the European Union? And overwhelmingly, people voted to leave. We don't need the EU's permission. Now, I, I think you make a, a very important point. Can I address the lady's point at the back? I, I, I think there's a long catalogue of errors that this low-voltage prime minister has made. And um, I would say that the two biggest mistakes she's made is, number one, to have triggered Article 50 without having a clue as to what it is she was aiming to do. Dom Cummings and Vote Leave were very clear that you should only trigger Article 50 once you were clear as to what it was you were seeking to achieve. And the second disgraceful thing she's done is not pass legislation to guarantee the rights of EU nationals already living in this country. I, I advocated to leave because I want my country to be a global, open, generous, outward-looking country that makes its own laws. I, I think she should have taken the moral high ground rather than rather ridiculously adopting the position she okay. has adopted. On that last point, because this question came up, I think it was the first question about, from the gentleman here, about all the trade agreements that Britain is part of in virtue of its membership of the European Union. You just said that you wanted to leave in order to become more global and more open. And yet, actually, we've now, by leaving the European Union, surely we walk away from, for example, this enormous trade deal with Japan, <laughs> trade deals with South Korea, <laughs> trade deals with... At, at the moment, the House of Commons is having a nervous breakdown over the prospects of being able to make decisions without the permission of the EU. And one of the things we constantly hear is that somehow, if we are self-governing, we won't be able to trade. Well, I, I, 
I don't think we should take the House of Commons word for this. Look at a well-respected German think tank, the IFO, which three days ago produced an extraordinary report. And I don't imagine that if we leave without a deal, there won't be some disruption. Of course, there will be some disruption. But the sum total they calculate in terms of the loss of our GDP is 0.48%, less than half of 1%. That's the equivalent of a particularly cold winter in terms of uh, reduced economic output. I, I hardly think that's a basis on which to decide whether or not we should be a self-governing country. Now, the prospect of us not having Brussels' permission to leave means that the civil service and the bureaucracy is starting to put in place a series of mini deals. We see this, for, for example, in aviation, for example, in financial services, for example, in the all-Ireland energy okay. grid. And these, uh, if you like, mini deals uh, ameliorate some of the worst excess, uh, effects of leaving without a, a, a grand overarching Thank you. Uh, just, just because most of the questions were directed at, uh, in effect, at the people who were on the pro-Brexit side of the argument, but nevertheless, you did come back in trenchant language just then. <laughs> well, I'm not sure everyone yeah. caught it, but while Douglas was speaking, do you want to just respond to I that mean, point? I mean, I'm, I'm not acting and I'm not waiting for the European Union to give me uh, permission for anything. I, I really wish we could stop talking about the European Union, something that we have been part of, um, as if it's some sort of hideous bogeyman who is going to try and get us all. Um, for a start off, we were there making those decisions. I hate the way the idea that we don't make our own laws is uh, its just total rubbish because we were at the table. They were British people around that table. And it's always the, the rhetoric you hear about... I don't know, health and safety gone mad. Has anyone ever been to Spain? You can literally plug your hairdryer in to the shower. And the, those were British standard rules pushed by British civil servants. And it has been... Everything gets blamed on the European Union. And it is an absolute... I'm just, absolute, just totally sick of it now. Okay. Um, but the, uh, in response to uh, whether the, the, this idea of the 0.4 uh, GDP drop, or we might have a little bit of a blip, it's going to be a little bit bad. Well, let me tell you, it probably won't be bad for the constituents of most of the people on this panel, Ian Paisley aside. Um, but where I live... Do you know what? We can't afford to take any more setbacks. We cannot... And every deal that we have currently got in front of us is remain minus. And where I live, and that little blip and that little bit of hard pain, that means hunger and homelessness. It means less school places for people. It means less of everything. It means less jobs where the biggest uh, employer in my constituency is Jaguar Land Rover. What no deal means for Jaguar Land Rover is the end. Thank you. Um, hold on. Thank you. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm aware of the hands that are up. I just want to get Ian Paisley to respond to the questioner who said yeah. 650 MPs are held to ransom by the 12 members of parliament or, or, yeah, or, facts or are, the DUP. Facts are stubborn things like the 27,000 constituents of Jesses that voted to leave and the 18,000 that voted to remain. Facts are stubborn things. Um, the, 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 the lady here who, who very politely put the question that she thinks has been held to ransom, I don't know if you felt 
that the Conservative Party were being held to ransom under David Cameron when the Liberals held the tail. At that time, it's the nature of our parliamentary democracy, coalition or hung parliament. These things emerge at these times, and I'm delighted that they have because it has given us influence. But let me tell you this. The Labour Party offered my party more money to go into government with them after the election. Not, we were, not and, a very simple Oh, yes, we, oh yes, they did. They offered us more resources for Northern Ireland. I would that was, the, Labour Party that that was the arrangement that they wanted to put on the table. And I think that uh, that's the nature of um, how our Parliament works. Uh, it goes on the votes that are in Parliament. Can now, you tell us no, just no, a no, tiny we're, bit more we're, about we're it? No, we haven't known about that before. So you were in no, you have known about it before. It has we been widely covered uh, in most of the papers. I think in even in your paper. In your election. paper. The 2017 election. No, no, the, the first election, sorry. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, the first 2015 election. election. But it was Jess's party that offered us. Offered you mean in 2010 election? Uh, 2010. Yes, offered us to go in okay. to par with them. 2010 is what he's talking about. Okay. Offered, offered us okay. that, that opportunity. Now clear that up. Um, All right. But, 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 I want, but, but in, term, in terms of, of the issue, just, so it, it happens in our democracy that parties will make and try to make those particular deals. Okay. Well, well, do we want no deal? No, I want a deal. I want to see a deal that works for all of us. I want to see a deal that gets us a good arrangement with, with Europe. The, the reality is, I think the way this negotiation has been held, it's taking us to the end where there will probably be no deal. But like Ken, okay. I think this is crazy to forecast this because there is still a lot to go in this negotiation. And I really wish, again like Ken, we could get on to the real substance with Europe, the meat of the negotiation, which should have been about trade and okay. our trading relationship. And if we had gone on to that at the beginning uh, in these negotiations, I don't think we would be in the right. mess we're in tonight. We've got a few hands up. Let's hear a few views. Yeah. Thank you very much, and thanks for a very interesting discussion so far. Paul Hodges from Ready for Brexit. Uh, I would like to ask the panel, if we, um, next week or whenever it is, we don't get through the motions that are coming along, the meaningful vote and so on, and then Parliament votes to say we don't want no deal, which I think is a very likely outcome, mm -hmm. what do, what do the, the, the panel think will be the reaction in Brussels, and how is this likely to play out? So we go to Brussels and say, well, we don't want a no deal, my guess is they'll say, well, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to Anand later for that sort of point. Num yeah, number one there. Hello? Can you, yeah. you can yeah. hear me? Okay, so um, it's just really a question to Ian Paisley and about the use of language um, and whether the Liberals held the tail of and held the Tory government to ransom in the coalition or whether they held back from some of the more extreme yeah. conservative... Uh, policies. It, it probably did lead to the yes. situation we're in today, okay. quite frankly. All right, let's, uh, because that, that's taking us down to different what you wish I just, want, I just want to, uh, let's bring the microphone here, just for, here for this gentleman. I want to ask Ken Clark something about the economy, but let's just hear from you. Uh, I'm just going to say, I think there's only really two options on the table. It's no Brexit or remain, and we don't have the balls to uh, do a no Brexit, so let's just get on with it and stay. All right, you're, you're, you're preempting. You're preempting a little bit. Who is it? Wants to come in here? Hey, Mustafa. Uh, left field question. What is the probability of Sinn Féin actually wading in and actually taking its seat in the House of Parliament and swinging the entire debate? Okay. Well, we'll, we'll ask Anna on that, but I think it is a number Love close to zero. Um, let us be, be. Let's just do this. Um, I, I, I'll take you in the next block if I can. Uh, Ken Clark. Question for you. Um, we've been talking about no deal. We've heard the figure of 0.4% and blips and IFOs and all that. Without straying into the territory that was branded Project Fear, 
you are a former Chancellor of the Exchequer. What do you think, in your, if you can be as, as unpolemical as possible and coolly analytical, what do you think will be the impact on the economy of Britain leaving without a deal? Well, everybody's going on, it's, it, I think, a very alarmist way about the short-term consequences. Government's spending £4 billion pounds devoting the work of thousands of civil servants to minimising the short-term consequences. So they'd be quite confusing, but they, with a bit of common sense on both sides of the channel, uh, they, they probably won't we'll have a, something silly will happen somewhere, uh, but we might get through it. But, but until you've got a deal, the effect on the British economy will be very damning indeed. Uh, the present uncertainty has cost us a lot already, the Brexit vote, uh, and the continuing uncertainty is wiping out uh, a great deal of substantial international investment in this country, and that will really continue until they have some idea of uh, what the trading relationship well, is. You a minute ago wanted 21 months more uncertainty by extending. Well, well because it's, what you've got to get is an agreement. The question started with, what, what, what about what does no deal mean? Sorry, no deal, no, no deal. De 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 but Douglas, I've been very unaccustomedly silent for about the last uh, 10 minutes, uh, which is very good, because it's a very interesting debate I've been listening to. But, but, but what, what no deal means is that since the time of the referendum, we've reached a stage where we have no more idea than we had then what actually leaving means. Uh, that's all that leaving uh, uh, no deal means. Uh, and it, 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 we, we nearly reached a stage, no deal would mean that we're the only developed country in the world that would have no trade agreements with anybody at all uh, and will be totally dependent on WTO. That's not quite right because we've managed to roll over seven of the EU agreements and two important ones, and two important ones are Switzerland and Israel. But otherwise, everybody goes on about WTO rules and also, of course, we've become a third-party country to the EU. That means we face, because the EU will apply, will have to apply under WTO rules, uh, the same external tariffs to us that it does to the rest of the world with whom it hasn't got agreements. And they're pretty massive in some areas, pretty massive. Uh, and we will have to draw up a whole new list of fresh tariffs, which I think the government have agreed but they don't publish at the moment, uh, which we will then impose on the Europeans and the rest of the world, and so on. That's what no deal means, and it means a hard border in Ireland and all kinds of other consequences. And, and, and the WTO rules which are held up, which the, the Brexiteers discovered, with Ireland, which hadn't even been mentioned during the campaign, most of the Brexiteers hadn't thought of the Irish border. They still don't know what the answer to the Irish border uh, is. So, so they the, 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 oh, WTO rules apply and somehow solve all this. WTO rules are just a fallback where you have no specific agreement. And right. every developed country in the world is trying to get Lots okay. of agreement. WTO rules means any disputes settled by foreign judges, uh, unlike the European Court of Justice, on which there's a very good British judge, we've always had a very good British judge there, and which nobody can think of any judgment we object to. Uh, the, 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 the WTO has a okay. paddle of foreign judges, which will decide rules. Uh, and, and there are all kinds of rules about how we apply tariffs and everything else, and it will involve any tariffs we impose. Uh, Let me cut you off there, because, because I do want to move on. Uh, and and the, 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 no, no, e don't, don't start again. Sentence, I, I know, last sentence. There's no sane person on the continent who any more wants a no-deal solution than anybody who knows anything about economic and business policy wants a no-deal solution 
here. The, the reason we started from the word go trying to get a deal is all our economies will suffer if we have no deal. We will suffer worse than any of the other Europeans. Okay, thank you. And, um, and, 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 and there are quite a few sort of factual questions for you to clear up, and there was particularly the question of will Sinn Féin take part, but just mop those up before we move on to the question of the second referendum. Well, I mean, uh, I have no idea whether Sinn Féin will take up their seats or not, because it's not a factual question, that's a prophecy. Uh, at the moment, it would appear as if they wouldn't. Uh, the one, I mean, the one thing about process that was quite interesting is what happens if the deal goes down next week yeah. and Parliament votes against no deal. And I suppose at that point, there is a majority in Parliament, it seems to me, for a delay. Parliamentarians seem divided on how long they want that delay to be, not least because it strikes me that the Corbyn, month wants up to th Corbyn camp wants up to three month months because that's long enough for an election but not long enough for a referendum. The one, people who want a referendum want a very long pause, so it's long enough for a referendum. The people who want to get this deal through at the third, fourth or fifth time of asking want a short delay to scare MPs into voting for it. But what will be really interesting, I think, on Thursday, and indeed Wednesday and Thursday, are two things. Firstly, it is far from clear if the Prime Minister will be able to whip her own MPs on either the no deal or the delay votes. And I cannot overstress how remarkable it is in the context of our Parliament to face a vote of this significance where the Prime Minister is too scared to whip her own troops. It would be absolutely revolutionary and would mark the start, I think, of a shift of power between Parliament and the Prime Minister. The second thing, the really crucial thing, I think, on Thursday is whether MPs put forward a series of indicative votes in the form of amendments, saying, for instance, we want the single market, we want the customs union, because then for the first time, we will start to get an idea not of what Parliament doesn't want, we know what Parliament doesn't want, because it keeps voting against it, but a sense of what there might be a majority for eventually, because we'll get a sense of what the mood is in terms of what they do want. Thank you. Okay, indicative votes gets us to uh, the third topic before us, which is a second referendum, because that could be one of the things that's on the, one of those indicative votes. So, let's have our own little indicative vote right here. Who thinks that there will be a second referendum on Britain's membership of the European Union? So I'm asking you to be predicting now, crystal ball, who thinks there will be a second referendum? Not many, but some of you. How many of you think there should be a second referendum? Many more in this crowd. Um, many more. All right. Does it, keep your hands up if you would like to ask something about this subject. So we've got a gentleman here who's got his hands up, and we'll, go, we'll, we'll come to you next. Number four is going to be you next. We're obviously yeah. very divided here, and I think one of the reasons why is no, no one actually understands what... Brexit actually means we voted to leave the EU, but no one actually defined what we voted for. Um, isn't the truth quite simple? Theresa May's red lines interpretation of Brexit has no democratic validity. She's forced these red lines down the throats of the British people, despite leading a government that lost its majority in the last general election, which was held after the EU referendum. The inconvenient truth is the will of the people changed its mind, and surely the only way to give the democratic mandate, perhaps to the specific form of Brexit that is agreed in Parliament, or if not, because Parliament can't agree, is to refer this back to the people again. Thank you. There, yeah. There and then there. Yeah, you first, and then we're going to go behind you. Yeah. Yes, hi, thank you. Um, I think that we should have a second referendum, but I think, you know from the Brexiters' 
point of view, it's so disingenuous, the things that you've been saying, because a huge amount of the first referendum and the campaigning was built on lies. And there is a massive uh, situation going on right now about Russian interference, dark money. I was here just a few months ago with Carol talking about, you know, the Russian interference. Carol Carol Cadwallader. And and, 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 um, vote leave lying and the Facebook campaigns that they used, which weren't used as political campaigns. And, I mean, you don't address any of these things. You talk about this kind of utopia of no deal, and then Ken says all these things, and, and you're shaking your head and going, no, 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 that's just not true. Uh, I mean, a customs union, I mean, how can you... I'm sorry, I'm just going on, but no, my, my question... Don't, don't just go on. My, 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 my on question, your point about the second referendum... About the second I referendum I want is... To, I really, no, no, stop for a second. Sorry. I want to ask you something. If you feel that the first referendum yeah. was, in effect, sort yeah. of tampered with yes. by interference... What gives you the confidence that a second referendum would be any cleaner and fairer as an indication well, of what people want? that's my question to you, uh, to the panel, or Manel, as I call it, because... Sorry, no, but... Yes, apart from Jess. But, um, no, but I just... I mean, that's my question back to you, because if we do have a second referendum, and I think we should, because I think the first one was built on a campaign where nobody, as you said, knew what a deal was looked like. Nobody, and nobody had any okay. idea. So that's, what I, that's my that's question. your question. How can we think? Um, let's, the young man here, can we just get the microphone just two rows behind you? So what I was going to say is um, very much similar to what the lady said before me. In 2016, the people democratically voted to leave the EU. But the campaign, the Leave campaign, was built out of lies. This is not my opinion. This is a fact. The Leave campaign offered the people so many different okay. things that there is no way they can deliver. Many more people are now starting to realize what a disaster Brexit is because the government are struggling to get anything done. If there was a second referendum, I think that the people, I mean, I hope the people now opened their eyes and realized what a mess uh, Brexit is. So if there was a second referendum, I think it would. Thank you. Let's take that. Personally, keep your hand up there. I'm not going to go back here for a second, but if you keep, can you, number one, if you go to the, I can see it's, it's, the sleeve is green. That is all I can tell you. I can't see the face behind it. Yeah. Uh, hello, panel. Um, and hello, Jess. Um, I'm a Bromley as well. Uh, I, uh, I, I ran the Vote Leave campaign in Bromsgrove constituency. And, um, not saying I, yay now, Jess, I noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, 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 that's why I got that in now. first. Um, say Bromsgrove isn't in Birmingham, just, just to be clear. <laughs> but I'm not from Bromsgrove. Okay. Okay. Now it's really kicking off. Yes, go on. Absolutely. You clearly like um, I, also, uh, I also worked in the black country marginal constituencies in the last election in Dudley South, uh, where the Tory vote went up. Let's get to in, the point. In Halzone and Raleigh Regis, where the Tory vote went up. And in Dudley North, which we uh, lost by 20-odd votes to, uh, to Ian Austin. My question really is that all of the doors that I knocked on during the Vote Leave campaign and during the last election campaign, I was talking to people who had voted Leave and were expecting Brexit to be delivered. Now, if I'm going to knock on those doors again, I've got to tell those people that there is a point in going to vote. Because if we don't leave the European Union, what is the point of actually voting for anything ever again? Okay. Powerful point. Good. Thank you. For, for now, for now, because we took five questions there, and I just do want to make sure we get some answers. So let's just pick up that last one. The idea that if you do have a second referendum, you're going to break forever people's trust in the democratic process because you will have ignored their first vote in 2016. I, mean, I took part in a referendum in the West Midlands, not dissimilar, to say whether we wanted a mayor or not. And um, we said no. And... Uh, Guess what? 
we got a mayor. Uh, and I have voted every single time since. Uh, so, I mean, I know I'm only a factor of one. I think what happens often is when I'm on uh, these panels with people, people think that they've got the absolute doozy when they're <laughs> going to say the statistics of the people who voted leave in my constituency, as if it's going to be like, uh, you're anti-democratic for asking for another vote, which is a weird argument. Um, and it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter to me actually, that I have to try and think about the people where I live's jobs more than I think about my own. And I am fairly certain my vote went up massively. As a passionate Remainer, it went up by £10,000, if only. (laughs) 10,000 people more. I had a 6,000 majority, I now have a 16,000 majority. And I spoke to 25,000 people in the short campaign of the 2017 general election. 25,000 contacts, well, not me personally. Jesus, I was be knackered. Um, me and my seven, 800 volunteers uh, spoke to that many people in that time. And do you know how many times Brexit, Brexit got raised on the, those doorstep conversations? 12. But in a way, the question is pointed, maybe it didn't come up then because they all thought it was going to happen. But if it doesn't happen and it is a promise that is not fulfilled, then many more than 12 people mention it and people will feel betrayed and won't vote again. But the truth of the matter is, is that people are going to feel betrayed one way or another. It's, you know, when their jobs are all being lost at Nissan, I'm almost certain that the majority of Nissan workers voted leave. I'm certain that the majority of Jaguar Land Rover workers voted leave. I'm absolutely certain of both of those things because I went there during the campaigns. They are still going to lose out regardless. Does this mean that as an MP you almost have to know their interests better than they know them themselves? No, no, because actually their interests are not so bloody binary. We've got to stop as politicians laying our own beliefs onto the way that our constituency voted because everybody wants to use this particular number to mean whatever matters to them. So that one person will say, oh, it obviously shows that austerity is causing people to vote this way. Another person will say, this obviously shows that everybody hates migrants. Do you know what? My constituents are rich and diverse and beautiful and say insane things sometimes and say brilliant things other times. They are not single-issue people, and we should stop treating them as if they are. Douglas wanted to come in on this. I I, I listened to a couple of questioners using words like lies. Um, I've been out of politics for a couple of years, and I, it, it makes me very sad when I look at the political process and I see that we're almost importing that horrible culture of contempt into our politics that you find in America, where different tribes uh, simply don't try to find any common ground. I think it's incredibly important that, that we try and find some, some common ground here. It was, after all, a 52-48 result. But I... I, I I just don't see a second referendum happening, and I, I, I'm not sure that it's very helpful for politicians and, and pundits to pretend, A, that there are the numbers in the House of Commons, and B, that anyone soon is going to form a government that is willing to go through all the months of preparation and campaigning for it. Certainly, the Conservatives aren't, and I very much doubt that if Comrade Corbyn formed a government, which could happen sooner rather than later, he would want to do so either. So I, I simply don't see a second referendum as, as happening. But... Apart from anything, the, the fundamental problem is we've, we've already voted. 
um, we had a very clear question put to us. You may not like the answer. You may want to think it was the Russians or that dastardly, fiendish vote-leave use of Facebook and data. But it's happened. If you had a second referendum, it would lack legitimacy. First of all, it would be seen as rigged. Why? Because of the question. It would be a choice between remain versus leave in name only. Secondly, are you seriously suggesting that unless it was a slam dunk to one side, people wouldn't say let's have a third or a fourth or a best of five? And finally, I think if you're seriously advocating a, a second referendum, you've got to bear in mind that for it to have legitimacy, one side or other has got to get at least 17.4 million votes. And bear in mind, I think a significant number of people in the country would, would boycott that poll. So the idea that somehow this is going to bring us together, this is going to heal this difference of opinion... It's for the birds. It's kind of Douglas, just on that last point about boycott, would you, because uh, you were a big force in vote leave, if there were to be uh, a second referendum on the lines you fear, would you yourself boycott that? Would you tell people who agree with I, you I, to I have would, nothing to do with it? I would not vote in it, and I would organise an orchestrated boycott of it. You would. That's a good loss. I mean, if you're in favour of referendums, I don't understand how you could be in favour of the first one, but then against another one three years later. Uh, and it just, because I'm it in a minority, it, it, it just it confirms my scepticism about referendums yeah. deciding <laughs> huge, complex subjects. There are a hundred questions wrapped up in that simple leave-remain vote, and absolutely none of them were debated at national level from beginning to end of the campaign. We had all this rubbish about how many millions of firsts were going to and all that kind of thing. I'm, I'm in a tiny, beleaguered, old-fashioned minority now. I didn't vote for that referendum. I told Cameron I was furious that he'd actually called it for trivial, short-term party management reasons. Uh, I made it clear to my constituents uh, that I was not going to change my lifelong opinions and I was going to suspend my own judgment of the national interest uh, simply because of whatever way a referendum went. And I continue to hold my lifelong commitments to free markets with a social conscience, the European project, and so on. And that's why I voted against invoking Article 50. I, 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 I have uh, decided we're doomed to leave because I can't see this Parliament having the nerve to go back to expressing their own judgment of the national interest. So that's why I compromise and say, well, let's make a soft Just Brexit. on that, just on but, that, but but Kevin, it, just it, on that one point. If you have one referendum, you have another, yeah. you'll carry on Just on it. that one point, uh, much earlier on, the gentleman who's here said that he, if it was a choice between Theresa May deal or no deal, he would also vote for May's deal. But because he believes there's the prospect of no Brexit, he's not going to countenance even a soft Brexit. Why have you made a different decision that actually you will stomach a soft Brexit, why aren't you with him and thinking there's still the possibility, people's vote or some other mechanism, to have no Brexit at all? Well, that's what most, where most Remainers are. Yes, and I'm I, asking I, why I, you're I, not. I'm, I'm getting perverse and eccentric in my old age because I'm in a minority <laughs> until Remainers in the House. That Theresa May is obsessed with the ERG and, and she, she, she keeps trying to have real negotiations with them all the time yeah. to see if there's a form of words to get her deal through. Now, actually, the reason she lost by 230 was partly because she lost the extreme right-wing nationalists in her party, but the biggest block were Remainers, uh, because they think that if they cause a deadlock and there's no deal, they'll get a second referendum, which they think they'll win. 
Uh, and nothing has been done to address that right. uh, very much, okay. and I think most of them will still vote against the deal, even if Geoffrey produces some brilliant form of words when he comes back. Thank you. In my opinion, all I say is this is no way to run a welt stall. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and the people only want referendums because they think it might overrule a parliamentary majority and they can't get a parliamentary Thank majority, you. and they only like referendums when they win them. And I believe in parliamentary democracy. Thank you. Your, your, your reference, I want to hear from you, Ian Paisley Jr., on the two or three questions that came yep. from over there suggesting the campaign was full of lies, yeah. we haven't got to the bottom of the money, including via the DUP, I, I, um, I just, and Russia yeah, and Facebook, and I want to hear what you yeah, think heard about the questions. Um, you know, I just, honestly, if, if you were an ordinary British subject listening to that, I feel it says to them, you're A, a bad loser... And B, anyone who took a different decision from me is a gull and we're stupid. That's what it seems to suggest. And I don't think you can say that to 17.5 million people or 17.4 million people. I just think it, it, it's a ridiculous thing to say. I agree with the point. Why would you stop at a second referendum? Why not a third? Why not a fourth? Until you, you get the result which you think the political establishment actually uh, want at the end of the day. Now, the inconvenient truth in all of this, once again, is page six. Labour Party manifesto at the last election was Labour was going to take us out of the EU. Uh, and you know, that's why Can people voted the for the Labour Party. party had to that's, its that's why, that's why people you know voted for the Conservative Party. Because it, the pledges... We said. I didn't shut you down, Jess. I mean, have some manners uh, at least. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, I've been mannerly the whole night, you know. Uh, I mean, that's why people probably voted, because they said, these are parties that are now committed to doing this. Let's follow through. I actually take manifesto pledges seriously. And have you put, delivered all of your manifesto up, pledges? Well, we've delivered about, out of the, the, the key ten, and we've delivered most of them, yes. Oh, okay. And, and well, we're doing quite well. Vague, I'll tell you one Russia thing. Well, we're going whatever. to deliver this pledge in Brexit, because I believe it is happening, and the sooner we get our heads around it as a nation and get on with working together to get the best deal and to get us out of the EU and to work together beyond the EU, the better for all of us. Okay, there are a few hands still up. What I'm going to try and do, I'm not going to, you know, unfortunately you didn't put your hands up right at the beginning, but now there's lots. So yeah, let's hear from you first. The first vote wasn't valid. It's too complex an issue to have right. a single vote People on. As an NHS worker, and speaking to my patients, a lot of them voted for Brexit because of the shape of cucumbers and bananas. Okay, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying there. And um, uh, let's hear from the person who's at number three. Yes. Um, a lot's been said about Brexit being the result of a democratic election, but not much has been, sorry, democratic referendum. Not much has been said about the age of those voters. Um, a study by the FT predicted that by 2021, to put it crudely, enough old people will have died and enough young people will have come to voting age to tip the balance in favour of Remain. If that's the case, is it not the most democratic thing to seek a 21-month delay in Brexit and hold a second referendum then? Okay, I think we all got it. This, this one, do we have somebody at number four? This may be the last point, as brief as you can. Uh, hello, it's, uh, it's with regards to the, um, the claim that it's anti-democratic. Uh, Jess was saying that we should probably have another people's vote, and to ignore that would be anti-democratic. But the truth is, we haven't had the first result implemented, and I think that's what most people find bizarre. That's what's anti-democratic. Okay. Thank you. Um, this is going to be the very last one, and then we're going to have closing remarks because 
I'm looking at the clock. Just yeah. a very quick uh, point of information. The first referendum was 1975. We said we're going to the <laughs> European Union, and that was a very precise form of words. The second uh, referendum was we're going to leave the EU. Nobody said we're going to leave European economic area. Nobody said we're going to leave the single market. Nobody said anything about customs union. It was a very imprecise form of words. To get, uh, to get some kind of a resolution, we probably need to have a second referendum. My question is, yep. who is actually funding all of this stuff? Like Aaron Banks, Aaron people like Banks. Robert Mercer, people like, what, who's, who are these people? What is their agenda? I mean, the same kind of guys are funding the, called the movement right now in Brussels to try and uh, agitate for the European Union to break up in the upcoming May uh, elections. Okay. European Union. Who are these people? What's their agenda? Okay, well, we did put, we did put that question. To Ian Paisley, you know, I did put that question. I'm sorry, I know there's still some hands up, but uh, I'm going to put this question to all of our panellists, which is, how will we be able to heal as a nation after such a period of intense division? So I don't want you to relitigate all the arguments for and against Brexit or second referendum or no deal uh, uh, or Theresa May's deal. Rather, how do we heal after all of this? And I'm going to start with you, Douglas Carswell. And I'm really as brief as you can. I'm incredibly optimistic. I think once we've left the European Union, we're going to wake up. We already are waking up to the deep inadequacy of our political process and our political leaders. We're a country of 60 million people. Is the best we can really do a choice between Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn, a pathetic excuse of ministers and a turgid public policy agenda? I want to see real change in this country. How do we bring the country together? Well, I think fundamentally the European Union and the reason why I've been campaigning to leave it long before I ever joined any political party and the reason why I joined several political parties, in fact, is because I fundamentally believe that human progress happens when society and the economy is not organised by top-down design. I think the European Union is a disastrous project because it attempts to organise the lives of 500 million Europeans by blueprint. I, I think that uh, fundamentally dirigist model is out of date. And I think once we've left, we can prosper, and I think other member states will join us. Okay. How do we, as brief as you can, but putting aside all the arguments for and against, how do we come back together after this? Ken Clark, as briefly as you can. I don't think we will come back together until the Brexit thing is settled. And it's the unfortunate effect of a, a referendum, actually. Uh, this audience, actually, we're a most untypical section. One thing I'm sure everybody here has in common is that that part of the population which seriously takes an interest in politics, and therefore you come to a meeting like this and are reasonably well-informed and have coherent arguments. Even here, this argument is polarised and inconclusive and at times quite excited to a degree which we haven't seen. Now, this is a very civilised version of what's going on out there, and the public, large numbers of them, are seething with anger, some, you know, understandably, some actually rather irrelevantly. People are feeling more able to give extreme opinions, rather xenophobic opinions, semi-racialist opinions, which they would never have given before, which they think are wrapped up in this. So we've got to get back to grown-up politics and solving these certain, these very difficult questions in a civilised and sensible way. Hence my belief that we need time, we need to form a consensus on what we want first, we negotiate all the things uh, I, 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 I've been saying. Uh, and okay. I, I do think we should guard in future, um, our politics is going to change, Parliament, Parliament is going to be not the same after this as it was before, but we, we, we need to get our political debate to adjust to getting back to a sensible way of deciding things 
in a world which is changing ever more rapidly, yes. getting ever more complicated, we're having to learn to live with a globalized economy and dangers of a kind we've never seen before in parts of the world which are in every way closer to us than they were okay. uh, a generation ago. And I hope we see no more daft demands for referendums and absurd campaigns like the last one and we get back to being having Thank a properly you. politically accountable system. Ian Paisley Jr., how might we heal? After well, all this. Look, uh, we've been through a revolutionary change. I felt there's no doubt it's been a political revolution. Uh, it's, it's been a shock to the system. Um, and it, it's, be, it's had agitation. But at the end of the day, I believe fundamentally in the goodness in the, of the British people. This is one of the... This is the finest nation in the world. We've got a great mix of people, and I believe we will come together because I believe in the spirit of our people. And uh, yes, there will be problems, there will be bumps and roads. This country's been through far worse and been through far better. And the future will be better and will be brighter. And I, I trust the British people. Thank you. Jess Phillips, how am I... First of all, implied in my question is that there is a wound that needs okay. to be healed. Yeah. Do you accept that premise and how might we heal it? I don't actually accept that premise and um, I find myself agreeing with Ian is that where I live and where the people voted leave and I am remain and there is actually it's sort of divided in opinion and it is very mixed uh, racially um, around, around similar lines to how they voted in the referendum incidentally. Um, I don't see mass division in real life. I don't see people being awful to each other. I don't see my constituents being awful to me, regardless of what, which, whichever way they voted in any election. I think I really believe and have good faith in the British public, and I believe that they are better than us in Westminster. It's one of the reasons I want a people's vote, because I trust them considerably more than I trust some of the people I have to sit amongst in Westminster. Um, the, they are not fighting. They are not... I have Leave campaigners come into my constituency, and they call me Babby, and they say, of course I'll always vote for you, Babby. You know, you sorted out the drains, or whatever it was. Yes. So I, I don't buy that. It's on Twitter the division, it, it's, not, it's not real in lots of ways and we should be careful of overblowing it. Thank you. No, no, don't stop again. Um, yeah, this is going to be a closing <laughs> word. Anand Menon is going to give us a closing thought about some of the issues that have come up but also this point about healing afterwards. And then I'm going to say a final thing and we're going to head well, off into um, the night. We are very divided. Actually, this thing tonight, I am, I'm concerned sometimes about the tone people take when they're talking about the other side. Now, I think absolutely we need to re-look at our laws governing how referendums are run. We need to look at the laws about digital campaigning in elections. But I think to claim that everyone who voted leave was somehow duped or misled is wrong, and it's quite offensive. And I think it is also profoundly dangerous because it speaks to a belief that, well, 
there was nothing real behind this vote. And that's wrong. There were all sorts of things that were real behind this vote. There were people who genuinely, for principal reasons, think we should be outside the European Union. There were also people for genuine principal reasons wanted to protest in a way that elections don't let them at the way we've been governed for decades. Whether it is about the inequalities in our economy, whether it is about the lack of voice they feel through our political system. And I think ultimately, if we want to heal this country, it's not going to be about whether we end up being Canada or Switzerland or Norway or North Korea. It is about a government governing to address some of those real disillusions that led to that vote in the first place. And I think that is where we need to start. And a starting position of, oh my God, the whole thing was fixed, it wasn't a fair result, is a dangerous place to start from. Thank you. Now, thank you very much. The uh, observant among you will have noticed that we began the evening with a note of agreement between Ken Clark and Douglas Carswell about extension. And we ended the evening on a note of agreement between Jess Phillips and Ian Paisley Jr. about, about the whether or not there was a wound to be healed. So once again, Intelligence Squared has succeeded where the rest of the political <laughs> culture has failed. And it only falls to me, I'm sure, and all of you to thank our stellar lineup of speakers, Douglas Carswell, Ian Paisley Jr., Anand Menon, Jess Phillips, and Ken Clark. Thank you all very much.